0: Hello and welcome to 201X Best Games of the Decade, where we talk about the best games that came out in the past 10 years, year by year. I am Jared, also known as Ja, and I'm also here with Christina, also known as Pop-Tart.
1: What's up?
0: And I'm here with Mikey, also known as Keylock. What's going on? And for each year of this decade, we will drill down the top 10 games of that year and on this episode, we are going to cover the best games of 2010. So, guys, do you, do you remember how your 2010 was? Anybody want to talk about their 2010?
1: Uh, I was 19.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Freshly
1: graduated massage therapy school. That okay. did not go that far.
0: Yeah, I can tell. I can tell.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah. That's That's, it. that's
0: about <laughs> it. That your 2019. I was mainly uh, talking about games, but okay. Mike, you want to give it a shot. I can
2: dodge all my emotional trauma. Awesome.
0: Mike, uh, you want to give it a shot?
2: Games were great. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was it actually wasn't a bad year for gaming. It was Man, you guys a, it was, are lame. You have no I was in stories. college. <laughs> like, what did you want? I bought games and I was playing them.
1: This was my, like... Um, I guess, talking to more people kind of year. So, like, this is when I started kind of going out and, like, playing a little bit more than I did before, but I was still a little bit in my bubble. So I still kind of just stayed with my regular stuff.
2: Mm, Okay. I was just trying to, like, not... I was just trying to get out of college as fast as i could that was that was what i was and just play video games and get drunk so like all three of those things went pretty well so oh.
0: well my twenty ten was a special year for the for the site in general twenty two was the year that the site that we made the site we that's the twenty year that's the year that we actually officially officially started mashed those buttons and i mean i mean officially I think the first review we ever put up was on may 17th and i'm pretty sure that year like in, like from may to december we did like over 50 reviews like after you know that happened but yeah I've, I've told the story so much at this point but here we go again we went to pax east that year <laughs> it was the first pax east it was the very first pax east in 2010 it was um oh god it wasn't at the boston convention center they didn't have it there yet it was the convention center that's like in the middle of the financial area, which was real convenient because the parking, you could park underground and literally it came right up into a mall. And if you parked underground and came to the mall, you could skip the line that was like around the corner and stuff like that. And so we came in PAX East, we were there the whole time, had a great time. And that Sunday, they had a, uh, a games journalism panel that we went through and uh, me and like two or three other, actually I think like five or six of the people were in the group. They'd be like, we could do that. <laughs> and so we did it. And that's how, uh, you know, 10 years later, you know, I'm I'm still doing it 10 years later. And and then a lot of money later, still doing it. <laughs> Wouldn't change anything. No, um, no, but then it was a, it was it was a good year for us. So lots of lots of learning that year. So uh, yeah, I, I actually pl- I played a ton of games in 2010. Man, Made, like once because of the reviews. right? Yeah, we I was about to, to say
2: g- 50 reviews. Hmm, you play a lot of games. You say, Go yeah, figure. I
0: played a lot of games that year. Like you know, that, I mean, even before the, the 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 you know the reviews and stuff like that. The reviews we did the reviews so that we can get like review copies for other games and stuff like that. You know, so, uh but now I was like, just like heavily, heavily into it. So that was, uh that was cool. So I think 2010 was an easy year for me to drill down because I played so much. It's funny because as this series goes on, because my backlog gets so big, <laughs> I actually have to go back and play mandatory games now as this series goes on, you know, so it's going to get a little bit more difficult. But 2010, we got this one in the bag. So before we get started on 2010, there is something that I do need to let the audience know about. So there's a little bias here, right? You know, actually any list, any review or any top 10 list is going to have a little bit of bias, but at least I can explain the bias that's going to happen here. <laughs> all right. So the system that we put in place for these top 10 lists, right? Uh, we have locked picks. You know, we have a pick that each host can make that will guarantee that a specific game is at least on the list. It the you know The lock doesn't put it into a specific place on the list, but if you say, hey, this game has to be on the top 10 list, you get one of those games. Each host got one pick. So technically speaking, we only had to really drill down through seven because everybody got a pick that was going to definitely put them on the list. And you will hear whose picks. As we come across those games, we will announce whose pick that was and they'll probably talk the most about that game because if the game actually wasn't deserving, they have some swanning to do. But uh, we haven't hit that problem yet. We haven't, we haven't hit that problem yet. Everybody's been pretty good. Uh, everybody's been responsible with their picks. Maybe not in 2012, but we'll get around to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, all right. Let's go ahead and get into number 10. Best games of 2010. Number 10.
3: Heavy Rain. Selling over one million copies in the first two months, Heavy Rain demonstrated that players were interested in games for reasons beyond shooting or slashing. Focusing heavily on narrative and cinematics and using quick-time events to engage players, Heavy Rain kept tensions high throughout the story by making your actions permanent, with many having game-changing consequences. Heavy Rain sucked you in and kept you on the edge of your seat until one of the multiple endings rolled, and that lands it on our list at number 10.
0: All right, so Heavy Rain coming in at number 10, which, I mean, Heavy Rain, I you know, before Heavy Rain, I had seen the other games, like Indigo Prophecy and stuff like that, but I never played it. Heavy, I don't know what it was about Heavy Rain that made me get it in the first place. Maybe it was the hype. There was a lot of hype around Heavy Rain, right?
2: Yeah, there was totally hype. Uh, Sony was pushing this game real hard.
0: And I think that's why a lot of people played it, because if, like, cause Indigo Prophecy and the games before it were just kind of like, they were, private, they were PC games, right? You know, mm. and if they just kind of...
2: Was Indigo Prophecy on console? Indigo Prophecy was on Xbox. Really? I didn't... I'm uh. pretty sure about that. Uh It didn't get a lot
0: of burn, though. It didn't get a lot of push, and I think Sony pushing this game because, you know, I, when Sony pushes a game like that because it's a PS4, uh, PS4 or a PlayStation exclusive, it's usually because they help fund it to a degree, you know? So... Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely helped with that, but yeah, heavy rain definitely deserved a place on this list. You know, especially for a game that I mean, at the time, think about the games that were burning up the charts: Call of Duty, Call of Duty, and more Call of Duty, and games like a Call of Duty, Gears of War, action games, dude bro games, and now you have this narrative game where that's it's a narrative game full of QTEs, things, two things that gamers typically hate, right? <laughs> yeah, and especially back in twenty ten. Especially back in 2010, and this game comes out, and it's it's excellent. I loved every bit of Heavy Rain. I actually regretted drinking one night while playing Heavy Rain. Oh, <laughs> like no. I, that, like oh, that was a, that was no. a, I, I learned I learned a lesson that you never drink during Quantum Quantum Dream games, never. So like I mean I'm, so it was the part for those who played it. It was the part where you have to make it through like that abandoned power plant. And
2: you have to yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, the QTEs! So oh, there's a QTEs like, and so one of the QTEs, like you have to, you know, hit and hold multiple buttons at the same time, which sounds easy, but the way they put it in the game, it was not easy. Sober, it was not easy. Sober to to do these QTEs, and I failed it. I ended up getting knocked out. I'm like, oh god, oh god, I'm gonna, am this guy's gonna die. He's gonna die because the thing about this game. Uh, the permadeath you know had permadeath so any of your characters die the story keeps going but you're gonna miss clues you're not gonna get the real well I shouldn't say the real ending but the best ending you can get and stuff like that so now that I failed this I'm like okay I gotta go hard now like, I, I I gotta go hard now and the next option I had with that guy was like he needed information on his son and the videotape said cut your finger off I was like fuck I don't have time to fuck around this guy anymore and I just cut his finger off like <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just did it. I was like, I don't have time. If you say cut the finger off, this guy's gonna have Assassin's Creed right now. You know, so yeah, definitely. Um, I, I had some good times with that game. It was entertaining enough that like one of my friends he came over and he was like just watching me play it. He's the reason I got drunk in the first place playing that game. You know, so like yeah, like it, it was it was a it was a great game. But uh, story and narrative took center stage. Uh, the story was excellent. The dialogue was good. It had great delivery. Uh, all of your choices had consequences. And on top of that, you couldn't just like – you had to pay attention. At any given time, a QTE can happen. Like I remember the, the part where uh, – I forget the detective's name, but he – somebody's trying to rob a store, and he's in it. And you're trying to get behind the guy, and as you're walking through the aisle, like he hits something – and in that moment there's a qte to grab it before it hits the ground but if it hits the ground then the guy turns around and bam you have a whole different uh not story arc but a whole different chain of events that can actually happen because you failed that qte so i thought that was uh that was pretty awesome what you guys think
1: i mean i i like the game i was definitely in the i guess multiplayer aspect of the game where i played with somebody else but like it's it's the kind of game that you can do that with because you are kind of watching, just watching the story. And it, it was a lot of fun. Um, the memes now are really funny too, where like they just speed up the video of the characters just running around the rooms and their mouths like are all big and watch those videos if you haven't. Um, but it's still something I talk about to this day too. And it's just like the memories of like cutting your finger off or like, crawling through glass or one of the characters dying and you realize they are dying and you're like, oh no, I'm gonna turn off the PlayStation and hope that it didn't autosave. Uh which I totally did and it worked. It didn't auto save.
0: Congratulations, because not everybody was able to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just I saw blood coming out of his nose and I was like, turn it off now.
0: <laughs> oh no.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. was a really one of the only games I played that year.
2: Yikes. Yeah, to me this was like this was like quantum quantic dreams like proving ground of like, yeah, this can work, it can sell, and it will take off. And I think this was what laid the groundwork for a lot of other people to make games like this that we see now today, even. So it's kind of hard not to give it its kudos for oh, absolutely. What
0: it's I think um I don't think tell Telltale games would have taken off as well as if this didn't do that good to be honest with you. Like, I think this is what kind of, I shouldn't say lead the groundwork for telltale because I think they had already been working on, uh, their systems or, or, or whatever, or you know, specifically their engine. But, um, if this doesn't succeed narrative games like this, I don't think, cause that's, you know, telltale games are all narrative games, right? So narrative games like this don't really even get a chance, you know, cause I know personally, if I didn't like heavy rain, when I went to go play The Walking Dead from Telltale, I wouldn't have even bothered. I like, no, I don't like games like that. Quantum, you know, uh, Heavy Rain sucked, you know. So,
2: <laughs> right, and I, I, and I agree with that a wholeheartedly. Like, I don't think if Heavy Rain was giving the push it did for from Sony, and if it turned out to be a ball and it just flopped, I don't think a lot of people would have invested in games like it
0: absolutely i do i would definitely like to ask some questions of why they went
2: from heavy rain to beyond two souls though i might let's just ignore beyond two souls can we just do that we're in 2010
1: right now so like that's not a thing yet that's later
2: (laughs) you're looking at the future again it's that that game will
0: not be brought up on any list like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just in passing good we it ignore it be, i'm glad we've agreed not, moving on <laughs> it would not be on any list it would not be on any honorable mentions or anything like that so
2: it will be interesting what happens when detroit, i was just curious when detroit, like how when detroit rolls around i'll be curious to see what happens but ah good point good point okay
0: well that was heavy rain let's move on to number nine best games of 2010 number nine scott pilgrim
3: versus the world the game Scott Pilgrim vs. The World The Game punched its way through our 8-bit hearts with its solid style and major nods to multiple retro games. Although the game is no longer available, it will always be remembered as a strong-hitting
0: beat-em-up with an amazing soundtrack by Anna Managuchi. Number 9, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World The Game. This was Christina's locked pick.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Why? Why was this game locked in for you?
1: It's a great game, um, obviously. (laughs) with the head nods and everything. No, it's really good from, like, the visuals. Like, it felt nostalgic, too, which I hate saying that because I hate saying this game's, like, really good when it's just nostalgic. But, like, it pulled a lot from a lot of other games. The music was really good. The multiplayer was, like, the best part for me, Um, just to be able to play with, like, other people. I heard the game was really hard if you played by yourself, but I, like, never played by myself. So, I wouldn't know, um, but the soundtrack alone was really good, too. It was uh I'm gonna butcher this on on a get, Managuchi?
0: that's correct on a Managuchi. Managuchi, there we yes. go,
1: yeah, so it was like just the soundtrack alone. We just like listened to that like in my friend group um so, like I said, there's a little bit of bias in this the I wish I played more of that game when it was out, because you can't really play it now just because of how like the copyright claim or the copyrights worked on it where like they lost the copyright for it. So they pulled it off the network. So kind of like how PT is, if you didn't have it downloaded on your system, then you can't download it again and you can't play it. Um, So it's a little bit of regret there, too. Um, I do have some fond memories, though, of breaking this game. I would like fall into pits and my character wouldn't die and nobody could continue. I kind of got banned from playing games with my friends for a bit because of that. Cause I kept breaking every game we played. So that was also a great memory.
0: You know, I, I can tell you it definitely was really hard to play if you played by yourself, but you came out stronger. I could tell you that much. But <laughs> It was fucking it It was tough. It was ja, really tough d- to play d- by d- yourself.
2: I know you didn't have a lot of friends, but you had a whole side of people you could have asked to play a game with you and they probably would have freaking played. Well, no because
0: the problem here is, right? You go to play it and the 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 the, the, the CPU beats the shit out of you, right? And it's like, "Well, no. I'm not going to take that." And then you just learn how to how to like work around it to the point that you beat it. Like you 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 game the system, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You figure out how to beat the system. So, it was really hard It was very time consuming, but it was very enjoyable. The game itself was just like super enjoyable. Uh, yeah it was
2: great i mean i the visuals were good the soundtrack was good the gameplay was that classic you know uh kind of turtles in time style kind of fighting and it was just good And it evolved it like it was it was just really solid and well the thing and another thing at the
0: time right this was when beat-em-ups were coming back you know uh in 2010 there were two games like there were two 2d beat-em-ups that i can think of specifically this and shank and the reason both were pretty unique was because they we hadn't seen any real beat-em-ups in a while but go ahead mike i mean
2: when was castle crashers what year was that uh, was that before uh, or after this game
1: i feel like that was like 2009 like right
2: cuz i feel like castle crashers is what like Opened the gateway of like, holy shit, these games can work in this modern day and age. You know Castle what I mean? Crashers
0: was 2008. Yeah, 2008.
2: So. Yeah, so I think Castle Crashers' success really opened the door for these beat-em-ups to be like, oh shit, we can do these again. So right. like, it was just, well, yeah, I don't know.
0: That's kind of how that works though, right? Because Castle, Castle Crashers, you're right, it was a, it was successful, but we didn't really see anything around it but when you when other developers see that this can work they can get funding for their beat em up now because the beat em ups that came after that were really good like shank i mean we just it just couldn't fit onto this list like i put, couldn't put shank onto this list um i wasn't going to make it my my must pick you know my locked pick but it was still a really really good beat em up and the same thing with scott pilgrim it was a really good beat em up now you get more beat em ups uh we have, we have you know more beat em ups cuz well Around 2010 was when the indie boom really started happening. And you can thank Steam for that, uh, but that's when that really started happening. And you know, we we got more of the games that big publishers didn't want to make. You know, so you're right about that. Castle Crash is really its success probably led into you know this being made the way it was. You know, because who would have thought that? Okay, you have like a, a high budget or uh, you know film, and this is the game you want to release for it. You know,
2: I mean, it also it fits the Scott Pilgrim aesthetic super it well. Does. Yeah. It does,
0: like, yeah. like, yeah. You would think you would think at that time that they would want to do something 3D, maybe. You know, like a 3D uh, fighting type of game, uh, or 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 uh, beat 'em up. But no, they did a 2D beat 'em up with like you know old graphics. So, right, no, and it, they followed it, it the com-
2: yeah, and they followed the comic uh, storyline versus the movie storyline which gave people like who only saw the movie a different perspective of the uh of the oh, of yeah. the story so yeah
0: so no it's, it's good i think it was deserving i think it was, a, it was a great game so good pick christy thank you all right let's move on to number eight best games of 2010 number eight limbo
3: Limbo shocked gamers as a puzzle platformer with fatal consequences for seemingly simple mistakes by a child. Besides gruesome deaths, Limbo's dark aesthetic and atmospheric sound design left a lasting impression on players, leaving them wanting more while simultaneously being anxious about what might come next.
0: All right, coming at number eight, we got Limbo, the Dark Souls of platform puzzle games. <laughs> <laughs> it was man. Like I, I, the thing about Dark Souls, you know, is people say, "Well, Dark Souls is really hard." I'm like, uh, "No, Dark Souls is well, Dark Souls is hard. Don't get me wrong, but it's a game about learning from your mistakes. That's what Dark Souls is, and it's the same thing with Limbo. Limbo is really about learning from your mistakes. Like sometimes, like as, actually, as you progress through the game, because you learn, you learn from your mistakes, you can more easily start to see things that will kill you for those who didn't play mo uh, limbo it was a pretty dark and i'm not just saying like in theme it was an actual pretty it was like a dark 2d platformer where you had to get from you know place to place and kind of figure out puzzles to to move along but the thing about these puzzles a lot of them will kill you in very gruesome ways <laughs> you know that was the the thing about limbo and i think that's what caught a lot of people's attention was you know the you know watching your and your character as a kid too so watching this kid get his head chopped off or crushed or impaled or eaten or, you know, something like that. yeah,
2: Right. So. And the artists that it kind of helped them get around the ESRB rating system, because like while it was graphic that it's happening to a child, because it's just like this shadow kid looking thing, you can do, you can you understand what's happening to this kid, but it doesn't it kind of tones it down a bit.
0: Yeah, Exactly. So I mean, Limbo was a great game. Now both these games, actually, I think the, the funny thing about both nine and ten, I'm pretty sure they were some more of arcade games. They were some more of arcade games uh, on the Xbox, um, which it, that's another thing that kind of put them into the spotlight as well. Like they were fe- highly, you know, like heavily featured on the Xbox storefront. So, but Limbo, I I I I enjoyed. It was a short game. It was a short game, but for like what ten fifteen bucks. That's how much these games cost. Like nine and ten. Like they're both like they weren't AAA titles. Or ten, fifteen dollars. Small, either small or independent studios. Limbo was definitely an independent game, but you got a lot out of it. It felt like you know when I got done with that game, I was I was satisfied. I wasn't like just looking for more. You know, I was like, now nah, it was a good game. And the puzzles were good. The uh, the aesthetic was good. It told a story without saying a word. You know." It did leave you hanging a little bit because, I mean, it's called Limbo because you're dead. You know, the kid is dead. And he's essentially looking for his sister. That's what, what he is. And, you know, they confirmed that both the the girl and the boy are dead at the end of the game. But, no, it was good. It was good. I mean, it's not a lot you can say about Limbo. You kind of have to experience Limbo. <laughs> you know, You know, it's not a technical feat. It's just a very well put together game. All right? So... With that being the case, we can actually move on to number seven. Best Games of 2010, number seven.
3: StarCraft II, Wings of Liberty. Blizzard once again asserted its dominance over the real-time strategy genre with StarCraft II, Wings of Liberty. While initially concerns were that splitting the campaign between three games would ruin StarCraft, Wings of Liberty's Terran-focused campaign delivered a great story, fun levels, and even some light RPG mechanics. StarCraft Multiplayer was back and better than ever, with a new ranked and matchmaking system that allowed players at all levels to enjoy themselves. Long
0: live the king! Alright, coming in, StarCraft 2 at number 7. This was – actually, no, this wasn't my pick. Sorry. <laughs> this is what we actually just decided. But this is a game that I liked a lot. You know, like lots of development on the Mashable Buttons website got done while playing StarCraft II. I would go into StarCraft II. I would put myself into the queue to play, and then I would do stuff until my game popped. And then I would go ahead and play the match. And then I will put myself into the queue again because the queues were like five minutes apiece, and I would do other stuff. This is – this was the life I was living in 2010. Yeah, you know, this is what I was doing at that time. Um, but Starcraft II Wings of Liberty, I think it was a decade, like a, a 10 year gap between StarCraft Brood War and Starcraft II Wings of Liberty. And before Starcraft, before this came out, there was actually quite a bit of an outcry because Blizzard had announced that StarCraft II wouldn't be one game with one with three campaigns. It was going to be three games with one campaign each. Each campaign, each game was going to have uh, a campaign for each race. So, Wings of Liberty was the Terran campaign, and that caused a lot of backlash because people were like, "Oh, they're just trying to stretch it out and they're trying to take the money." Because if you, if you go by the way the campaigns went in Star in the first StarCraft and and in Brute Wars, those campaigns weren't that long because they had three in the game. But each of the campaigns and the and you know and each of the StarCraft two games were. I want to say at least as long as the, an entire Starcraft game, right? And I think the thing that I appreciated the most about Starcraft 2, Wings of Liberty, one of the things is that Blizzard didn't try to go outside of the box. they didn't try to change the game and bring in a completely new audience or anything like that. They took Starcraft, they took what worked, made it better, and then they adapted things that really wouldn't work for the for the time for for 2010 so the game looked great graphically, right? Uh, and we'll talk about the multiplayer in, 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 in a minute here. But just the single player like was engaging on its own. Like, even if you didn't like to play the multiplayer, the single player was still worth it. right? In, in a time where a lot of games were ignoring single player. And Call of Duty kind of started that trend, right? Where the single player is like, meh. And uh, everybody's kind of playing for the multiplayer. So that's where they put most of their attention. But the game looked great. Like, it was one of the first games I saw that had an epic setting, right? It had an epic setting in the actual game for graphics. So, the graphics look great. Um, you had RPG-like elements uh, with different missions and stories based on choices. So, your gameplay or your your playthrough can actually be a bit different depending on how you branch your story, right? So, like, you know... In one part of the story, you can choose to help this group over that group. Or in another part of the story, you can choose to destroy this facility instead of that facility. And, you know, that changes the way the game plays. You know, you'll get different units for yourself. Or you won't, or certain units won't show up to a fight. You know, at the end of the game. You know, stuff like that. So that was cool. Um, and, and even in single player. So single player had units that you couldn't even get in multiplayer. And the single player had upgrades that can only be used in single player, so that changed the game and made it unique, you know. And a lot of stuff made it just wouldn't work in multiplayer because now you were overpowered, right? So this wasn't in, in Wings of Liberty, but I remember Heart and Storm specifically. You could give Zergling wings, and they could hop over stuff like it, like it was just ridiculous, but it was awesome for the single player. And besides just the the gameplay itself, the the story was great, and the story presentation was great. The cinematics, like Blizzard still has some of the best cinematics in the industry. I I would want to say it's between them and Square Enix in terms of the greatest cinematics. I would say the the reason I would still go with Blizzard over Square Enix is because I feel that the Square Enix cinematics can get a bit too busy. I think they can get a bit too busy versus the cinematics from Blizzard, which are very, like, American cinema, (laughs) you know, so.
2: At least we uh, actually got a movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. At least we got a movie. At least one. Well, oh, Final Fantasy, What's up? Warcraft got a movie. Well, oh, that was a live action though. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's not. That's
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fine. Wait, which movie are you talking about? Advent Children. Okay, the, okay. We don't
2: talk. No, the, we don't. Mm-mm, no, <laughs> we talk about one. There's one Final Fantasy movie. That is it.
1: Okay. Really,
0: I, they don't want to talk about the one where they had to fight the ghosts of aliens.
2: My fucking you know. God, that movie's awful. Anyways. <laughs>
0: yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the this between the cinematics and even when they recap certain stuff, right? So you play StarCraft, you know how Kerrigan got captured. And that entire, that mission was redone in StarCraft in cinematics. And it was amazing. I'm like, this is so... Dope. Not to mention, um, Kerrigan specifically was voiced by, I can't, it's Trisha, I can't remember her her last name, Hefner or Herfner, from Battlestar Galactica 6. Kerrigan is 6 from Battlestar Galactica, and she was perfect for the role. So, yeah, and another thing about the single player, like, you know, I, I played the multiplayer for hundreds of hours, and the single player, it was still amazing. Like, each mission was, like, unique. You know, so you weren't doing the same things like over and over again. You had different objectives to hit, and then when you get to the multiplayer, you know, in StarCraft One, you just kind of went into a lobby because that's what happened at the time, and you don't know who you were getting into a lobby with. Like, you could be getting into a lobby with somebody who cheats. You can be getting into a lobby with somebody who can absolutely dominate you. You just didn't know. And the rank, they added the rank system to multiplayer with matchmaking, so you actually kind of matched up with people around the same skill level. And I'm surprised that I actually – I made it to diamond level in StarCraft. If I played StarCraft now, I would be bronze. I'm pretty sure I would just be a bronze player because, like, I my my skills have diminished so much, you know. And even if you weren't into – let's say you were a little intimidated to get into the multiplayer, the game had a challenge system which showed you how to play, like, what units worked against who, who and what you should do in certain situations. Now at least get you started into the multiplayer at the bronze or even the silver level. So they it's almost like they really thought of everything to get people to play this game without sacrificing the integrity of the game. And that's what made it such a good game. They did not sacrifice the soul of StarCraft to make this game successful. So that's why it's sitting at number seven. Uh, But with that, I think I've talked enough about StarCraft. Let's move on to number six. Best games of 2010, number six,
3: Bayonetta. Bayonetta was a sign that Platinum Games was going to be king or queen of the action game genre. Bayonetta released to critical acclaim with great visuals and stellar action. The inclusion of Witch Time, also known as Bullet Time, as a reward for perfect dodges added to the overall gameplay and made it sing like the front woman of an all-girl band. For these reasons, Bayonetta
0: lands at number six on our list. All right, number six is Mike's Baby. This was his locked pick. Mike, tell us why Bayonetta deserves number six on this list.
2: Can I just say, first off, I'm really surprised you let me get away with putting Bayonetta above StarCraft II. (laughs) um bayonetta is what a lot of people when you think platinum games there's a handful of games you think about and i think bayonetta is up there with them uh bayonetta is pretty much the action game that everyone may made and go look at platinum and be like oh look what they can do uh bayonetta is a uh it's it's an action game it is action game to the purest it is flashy, over-the-top, anime, crazy, just nuts action, and they do it so good. Every button press feels good, every jump feels good, every perfect dodge rewards you. This game does nothing but rewards you for playing it over and over again by making you feel even more of a badass than you already are. The story might not make any sense whatsoever, but you don't care because you're killing angels in the most spectacular ways possible. And the main character is probably one of the most crazy, over-the-top, sh- powerful female characters in gaming.
0: Her clothes are made out of her hair. Yes. <laughs> That's how ridiculous that shit is. It's like, so you know, good. <laughs> but like, you know, Mikey's right like it is an incredibly incredibly tight uh combat game. Just like, you know, it, it, there's no excuses. If you get hit, you got hit, right? There's no cheese. Like you should have dodged. If you oh, I got hit and I died. Well, you should have dodged it. Don't don't get hit. That's that, that is the Every- answer. And they give you mm-hmm. they give you all the tools you need to be successful, but you just have to use them.
2: Exactly. Every every enemy telegraphs their attacks a certain way. As long as you're paying attention to the enemy, you can typically, you know, dodge or pair or do whatever to avoid the attacks. And the best thing is the game rewards you with witch time. Witch time like is now like almost a standard in almost any action game nowadays. It's like doing something to basically where you dodge perfectly slows down the game that lets you just go ham on all the enemies in the area yeah and it's just it's just good it's just it's just tight good gameplay at its finest
0: yeah they did a really good job but i didn't finish it because some of the ridiculous shit was too ridiculous for me (laughs) (laughs) i gotta be honest with you but no, I agree. It was a very, very tight game, and I think it deserved the spot, especially for the for the year. Right?
1: I so, definitely had fun with the like two hours that I put into that game. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game. I just my my attention span is small.
2: That's fair. I get it, but like this game really rewards people who want that stylish Devil May Cry, Ninja Gaiden style of gameplay. Um, and the rant the rating system is great. I mean, I, I can't commend this game enough for especially when like action games were really like not coming out a lot around this time frame and this one just sung so well.
0: Yeah, like if you think about it now, it may not seem like that big of a deal, but at the time, you know, I think like the only action game you were gonna get of that nature was like another god of war. But other than that, everybody else had moved on. You know, so no, it was it, it was good. It, it was it was good for the time. It, it still plays well now. By the way, it still plays well now. Graphics are a little dated, but still plays well. So,
2: well, graphics like, so are dated.
1: So the yeah. Switch version, didn't they add a bunch of extra the the Wii U Switch version, whatever they added a bunch of like Nintendo things to it and stuff too. So yeah. Like, yeah, they added some some elements to it. So I want to I have it on the Wii U. I just haven't beaten it, you know. I definitely <laughs> want to go back and and play through the whole thing. It's definitely an interest for me.
2: Yeah, they yeah. added um outfits so you could dress her up like Link from Legend of Zelda, Samus from Metroid and uh Peach? Princess Peach. Yeah. Yeah, and her basically instead of demon hands coming up from the ground, it's Bowser fists and legs. <laughs> Instead, oh, when you wear when you wear Princess Peach's outfit, so it's kind of cool. So
0: nice, yeah. I definitely got to get back to beat it because eventually there will be a Bayonet at three, and I'm going to be like, oh, now I got two games to play in order to get into this one you're
2: gonna have to play astral chain for this year i'm just gonna throw that at you right now oh
0: yeah yeah. it's loaded it is locked and loaded in the switch as we speak as we speak
2: you want to talk about an action game Mm -hmm. anyways that's for 2019 that's for 2019 (laughs) we're talking about
0: the future now
2: if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down
0: after all a team is only as good as its weakest link
2: Let's
0: go ahead and move on to number five.
3: Best games of 2010, number five. Battlefield, Bad Company 2. Bad Company 2 ushered in a new age of Battlefield, touting fully destructible environments that could change or even completely flatten a battlefield as the game progressed. Combining that with fun game modes, great level design, and weapon balance made its multiplayer one of the most memorable in the Battlefield series. Bad Company 2 also had what is arguably the best campaign in the Battlefield series, with fun levels and comedic dialogue. In 2019, fans are
0: still begging for a Bad Company 3. So number five, Battlefield Bad Company 2. This was my locked pick. And you know why it's my locked pick? Because to this day... It is the best battlefield that they have ever put out, and I will stand by that. You could put that shit on my tombstone, okay? <laughs> it is the best battlefield oh, that e- they have put out
2: for your tombstone. Can we get a grenade with the smiley face hanger off of it? Oh, <laughs> like, you man. know, like because wasn't that their logo? The battlefield badge? It was. It, yeah. it was. It was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So Bad Company 2, like it the fact that they took a a a, a, bat, a Battlefield game that was designed for console, right? Because Bad Company was specifically designed for console to the point that you could not strafe in Bad Company, the original Bad Company. You could not strafe in the original Bad Company. And then took it and now and they turned this game into the game that bridged the gap between PC and console for Battlefield. Like that was the the thought of that in 2010 was unheard of. Now it's no big deal. Like, you know, you get battlefields on console all the time and it's whatever. But at the time, no, that was not a a thing. So th- besides that feat, you know, that social feat, this game also introduced destructive environments into battlefields. You want to know why you can pull apart buildings now on battlefield? It's because of bad company too. I mean, it completely changes the game, right? You know, you have a sniper that's up on a perch and they're not going anywhere. Okay, no problem. I'll be right back with my tank. And we're going to knock that sucker down. You know, like you would literally like you would start the map and they'd have a overhead view of the map and then when the map is done, especially if you were playing, I think like it was rush, if you would see the map and all the buildings would just be completely knocked down as the uh as the map continued, you know. Um so yeah, like that was that was really good. I mean, and the, and the map changed as you were playing it because holes were being blown into buildings and you know, uh things of that nature. So that was really cool. It was the first I'm I'm pretty sure it was the first version of the Frostbite Engine. And that was one of the reasons why the, the game looked phenomenal for 2010. It looked great. And then other games started using it. So like you know Mirror's Edge um catalyst looked amazing because of the Frostbite Engine. Obviously an updated version of the Frostbite Engine. But still, like you know, other games started using it because the engine was very streamlined. It looked great. It played at sixty FPS. You know, it was a it was a, a great engine. And then, you know, besides the the multiplayer aspect of the game, which is Battlefield is mostly known for, Bad Company is unique because it actually has a really good single player. Right, the Bad Company single player is actually for a military shooter. It doesn't take itself too seriously. So there's a lot of funny dialogue. there's memorable characters, funny characters, but at the same time, the game plays really well. So instead of having like a goofy kind of game because the, the, the marketing for it kind of makes it seem a little like goofy like they're jokers, right? But the thing about bad company that you realize as you're playing is that they are so good at their job that they can fuck around do it and and you know still come out on top. like it makes you feel more of a badass. So like, yeah, they did a, they did an excellent job with the single player. A lot. I, I know a lot of people who don't even like even bother with single player games. Oh, single player shooters, right? They only play the multiplayer aspect. They, they also played through the bad company Two single player, which again, and we got to think about the time at the time. So, you know, military shooters were almost at their peak, not even at their peak yet, almost at their peak. Everybody was looking for their own Call of Duty, right? They were looking for that cash cow that could put out yearly. Kind of, well, I don't, I don't want to say Call of Duty was put out on the cheap, but can, you know, basically, they had a formula down for Call of Duty: three-year production cycles, reusing assets, focus mostly, mostly on the multiplayer, you know, stuff like that. And you know, when this came out, this kind of broke that mold. Even though EA did eventually fall back into that mold. Which, ended, which ends up ruining Medal of Honor, but we'll get into that at some point. Um, but for now, like they kind of broke that mold, where they had a great single player, great multiplayer, all of the content for Battlefield except the Vietnam DLC was free. All the additional content was free. You know, so uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, the, uh, the game had oh dedicated servers. You could still you had this. You know. Dedicated servers are starting to go away, mainly because of Call of Duty. I Call of Duty was one of the first uh, games to say, you know, you can't have dedicated servers anymore, which is a huge blow to the PC communities. But what Battlefield Bad Company Two can still use ba- dedicated servers, and guess what? Because Battlefield Bad Company Two can still use dedicated servers in 2019, you can still play Bad Company Two. You can still play ba- Bad Company Two in 2019. I just actually I watched a video of somebody talking about bad company to 2019 and their footage was recent and the servers were busy because it's the best battlefield that they have made and actually um one of the i can't remember this is years ago and i can't remember the name of the uh of the director but they he said that they were a bit worried or they're a bit afraid to try to do another bad company they were afraid to try to do another one because they just didn't know how they were going to match it up or how, what, what they were going to do because Battlefield's kind of changed. Like, Battlefield is, like, super serious now. Even to the point in Battlefield Five they kind of changed history, to be honest with you. So, you know, it's it's not the same game. And on top of that, Battlefield is more accessible. So the thing about Bad Company is that You know, it wasn't inaccessible, but there were a lot of different options to change your play style. That can be a little intimidating. Somebody who was definitely better than you was going to get the best of you. That was it. You know, so how do you kind of, do you go back to that style or do you try to incorporate it with the new style? You know, so, I mean, and that's on top of stuff like excellent sound design with the weapons. Uh, You had ballistic drop for the guns, and it wasn't too difficult to get a sniper shot, but you can clearly see your bullet dropping off if if, if, if it went out too far, you know? And then one of my favorite things is the fact that it didn't really have any lock-on weapons. So, you know, choppers would come, and they are a problem, you know? But if you had the skills, you could take a rocket launcher. If you were able to hit the tail of the helicopter, which, let's be honest, wasn't that big, you'll take the chopper down in one hit, and the thing is people practice that and got so good at that and it became a thing, you know, to the point that some people I'll play with some people and they would think that was cheap. I'm Like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not easy to do. You know, uh, Jason Bond, who I used to do watch playing radio with, he is one of the best chopper pilots I've ever played with in a battlefield. And this is not just for Bad Company, too. This is for all the battlefields I play with him with. Like He will literally have his chopper be going full speed. And just do just like turn right where the enemy is, and it'll be like an on rail shooter for me. I'll be on the gunner seat, and it'll just be me on rails mowing everybody down. And as soon as I say, "Oh, the guy with the rocket launcher," he just bail out of there. Best chopper pilot I have I've ever played with. So, yeah, Battlefield Bad Company two most definitely deserves to be on this list for everything that it did for shooters and for the Battlefield series. Uh, I think it it deserves to be in the top five, which is why it's in the top five. So. <laughs> Like you played, you, uh, it, was, it looked like you
2: played it, right? Oh, yeah. yeah I was just, but, but like single player was why I played it. Multiplayer ah, was actually right. secondary. Uh, I was actually really happy with the multiplayer, obviously. Um, But the single player is what always hooked me in. The characters were great. The story is great. And I can 100% get why I would not want to be in the shoes to follow that game up.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can see it. It is tough. It's tough. I mean, the reason why games are exploding the way they are is because developers are adding more accessibility into their games. And, you know, while Battlefield, like I think it was accessible, like, you know, if you had a low level shooting to get you to a high level shooting, it's not as accessible as games are today. So still amazing. All right, let's go ahead and move into number four. Best games of 2010, number four,
3: Super Mario Galaxy 2. What more is there to say about this game? It is a sequel to the near-perfect Mario game Super Mario Galaxy. Super Mario Galaxy 2 does everything Super Mario Galaxy does, but improves upon it. Every addition, like Yoshi, adds even more depth to already stellar platforming levels. Super Mario Galaxy 2 deserves its slot on this list, and its slot is one of the best
0: Mario games ever to be released. Okay, number four, Super Mario Galaxy 2. I mean...
2: You want to hold on? Can I just say this? (laughs) Let's just say this one thing and we just go to three. All right, ready? Uh, It's Mario Galaxy better. Okay, number three. Okay, it's like
0: (laughs) you make Mario Galaxy. I mean, Mario Galaxy was damn near a perfect game. I want to say damn near a perfect game because there's no such thing as a perfect game. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But it was essentially a perfect game. And Mario Galaxy 2 took everything that was good and made it better. And anything that could have possibly been bad. Was then tossed to the side. You know, I mean, it excelled in every department. The music was great. Uh, the platform was great. The, the, like, you know, every level was creative. And then the challenges in each level were all creative and varied and different. You weren't doing the same things over and over again. You know, it was, and it was also balanced in a way where you could be a novice player. And you can have a good time, or you can be an expert player and have stuff to do, and still have stuff to do.
2: I mean, like, eh, ha It was amazing.
0: <laughs> it was an amazing game.
2: Yeah, it's argued <laughs> as one of the best Mario games for a reason. Like, it's, Ab- absolutely. But it's number four. <laughs> it is not. It is, it, is, it is
0: number four. It is. It's, it, you're right. No, it, you're right. It is number four. But it was just enough a, a phenomenal.
2: Oh, hands down.
0: Game. It was a phenomenal game. Like, I mean, I really, it's one of those games that I, you just play and consume, enjoy, and that's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that's the whole thing about it. But it was amazing. And that's why that game was, it is number four. We can actually move on from that. Like, enough said. You know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Best games of 2010, number three. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. While Assassin's Creed 2 solidified Assassin's Creed as a great series, Brotherhood sharpened its mechanics and activities like Ezio sharpened his hidden blades. New RPG elements like training assassins and world-building elements like restoring Rome put players in a world with a lot to do while not making it feel overwhelming. Combining that with the traditional Assassin's Creed formula made it one of the best games of the year.
0: Okay, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood coming in at number three. And in, in my opinion, this is the best Assassin's Creed that's come out. Now, I have not played Odyssey or Origins yet. However, it's going to be a really tough sell to tell me that they're going to be that they're better than this game. Now, obviously, let's be realistic, right? The games have changed. If I went back and played it now, I could probably pull out all of the various things that aren't suited for 2019 play, right? But in 2010, and the one of the I think one of the reasons why this was the best one was because, technically speaking, well, this game was supposed to be a part of Assassin's Creed 2, originally. And this, this area was, like, just big enough, or the stuff they wanted to was big enough, they're like, well, fuck it, we'll just extend it out and make it its own game. This is actually what started Assassin's Creed going yearly, and it was by accident, because there were conflicting statements from the creative director, Patrice Dieselitz, and uh, Yves Gilmont, who is the um, CEO of Ubisoft. Patrice Dieselut says, don't get used to a yearly Assassin's Creed because, you know, we're not going to be doing Assassin's Creed yearly. As soon as this game came out and did, you know, went like gangbusters, Patrice, like two, like a month later was like, yeah, we're doing them yearly now, because everybody was looking for their Call of Duty, and this is how Assassin's Creed got ruined. This is how Assassin's Creed got ruined. Even though yeah. one game, like one game that's not making a list, is Assassin's Creed Revelations, but the combat. And how grizzle like how grisly the combat in that game was, like to kind of show Ezio like Ezio's progression as an assassin was fantastic, but that's the only plus about that game. But Brotherhood, it takes everything that Assassin's Creed did and perfected it. It was a larger game. I'm pretty sure the map was like three times larger than Assassin's Creed 2 in general, and you only were in one game. I sorry in one city, right? They did a great job of making the city feel alive, and there's people all over the place, which makes it more believable for you to blend into crowds and stuff like that. You had city building. Uh, Everybody, of course, is called Brotherhood because you got to build up a Brotherhood, which two things came out of that. One, you could use them live. Like, you know, if you had guards in your way, you could, like, snap your fingers, and they would either pounce on the guards or shoot arrows down or something like that, and that made you feel amazing. But there was also, like, an RPG-like mini game where you can send them to assassination. So you had a game inside of a game, you know? And some people will say, well, it's not that different from Assassin's Creed 2. That's fine. The thing about games, right? You don't, you're like, and I think Borderlands 3 is kind of going through this right now. Your game does not have to completely change every time you have a new version of it, right? You can just take what works and tweak it and make it really, and make it even better. And that's exactly what they did you know combat was improved like the combat in assassins creed 2 improved from assassins creed 1 but it was still kind of like slow in some cases uh you know and it just it, it wasn't that smooth
2: you could still and, counter your way through the game like you could yeah like that was the main criticism i always saw for the early assassins creed games is you could just it was counter the game so
0: right well, that was the most effective way to play it, I think. With this one, like, you know, the, the, when you killed somebody, it was just way faster than two, right? It was faster, it was smoother. And because the combat was faster and smoother, they could actually introduce more enemies at a time for you to fight. Because you can react to different things better. Like, you could kill one guy and then kind of counter a different one and then come directly off that counter into killing somebody else. So, uh, that was really nice. Um, what else? Oh, the horse. The horse, you know, doesn't have to change gameplay. It was just a nice quality of life change. Being able to get the city was 3 times as big, right? So getting around a city that big, you're either going to walk around the place or you're going to have to fast travel everywhere, which means loading times, you know. So just taking the horse was nice. It was an, it was a nice uh, quality of life change and, you know, and it was just a better Assassin's Creed. And that's all I really asked for, and like I said, in my opinion, it is the best Assassin's Creed that they have put out um you know it, it was it was just the best one i I enjoyed it the thing The problem with Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is that I think you can tell when Desollettes knew he was gonna leave the studio or either he left the studio and the game wasn't done because the whole last i don't know hour maybe two hours that game after you find the apple is all phoned in like you literally don't even have to fight you just hold the apple up and it charges and you use it you charge it charges and you use it it charges and you use it you don't have to do anything and then you go through like several levels of just using the apple and then you fight Cesare into the game like it was the, the last part of that game was definitely phoned in so that was that was my biggest gripe with it. But up until that part, up until you
2: get the Apple, it's a good game. It's a good game.
1: So did also you shout
2: do... out to the oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was gonna say, did you play the multiplayer at all?
0: <laughs> you know what, Christina? We're gonna have to talk about your position on this show because that's what I didn't want to bring up.
2: I that's did... <laughs> exactly what, what I was gonna bring up, and we're talking about it. Yeah. before people figured out how to break it. That was some of the most fun, like, hide-and-seek bullshit you could play. I loved it.
0: People figured out how to break it, like, within the first day. Like, that's why I hated the multiplayer. Because (laughs) the multiplayer, you were supposed to be rewarded for, you know, stealth kills and being an assassin and trying to figure shit out and, you know, stuff like that. And I think from an XP perspective, maybe you were rewarded. But if you want to actually win, No. The people who won were the ones who just kind of just ran around and were stabbing people, and you know, finding they found you, they would identify you, and boom, they just hop on you. They they would act, react too fast. There was no penalty. There was a little, very little penalty for them acting out of sorts, you know. So yeah, I didn't want to talk about the multiplayer, but go ahead. You like the multiplayer. The only thing about the another thing that kind of bothered me about the multiplayer is that it did add um, story content. The multiplayer had. Um, uh, lore like where you found out that um, oh god, I can't remember the girl's name, but uh, Kristen Stewart, not Kristen Stewart, Veronica Mars, who's what what's Kristen her name? Bell? Kristen, Kristen
1: Bell.
0: Kristen Bell. There you go. Her character. You find out that she was a uh she was she was a triple agent. Like she was actually still working for the Templar, Uh and you know that's why she was killed. You know, versus probably I don't know the, her character just not being viable anymore or whatever. But still, um. Yeah, so that was the that that you did find that out, but what, you know, eh, it's whatever. I didn't like the multiplier. But the rest of the game was great, <laughs> which is why it's number 3. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and move on to number 2. Best games of
3: 2010, number 2. Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption is the western game that no one knew they wanted. Even ten years later, there are few open world games that can match the atmosphere and adventure of Red Dead Redemption. Combining entertaining gameplay, exceptional audio, unique characters, excellent dialogue,
0: and a compelling story made for a memorable experience. Number two, Red Dead Redemption. Some people are like, fuck this, this game should be number one. But it's not on this list. But it's a great game. Red Dead Redemption is a great game, especially for the time now. I will say I did play it again recently to kind of get a refresher of it. And it's a little bit dated. But we're all talking about, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, we are talking Can about I get that again? <laughs> I'm going gonna,
2: I'm gonna to download this. I'm going to clip that. And I'm just going to hold on to that audio file. <laughs> it is a little
0: bit dated. Actually, you know, the funny thing about this game is that based off of some of the dialogue, in the game, it would be considered political. Now, like the same way people consider Wolfenstein political, even though Wolfenstein's always been about killing Nazis. Like, you know, this game would also be a bit po- considered a bit political because some of the, um, more conservative views in it. Right. But That's living in 2019 now, <laughs> you know? Uh, but no, this game was great, man. Like the first world, like the f- simple fact that you could take a, a Western game. And make it as popular as this is a feat. That's how that is a testimony to how good this game was. And for the time, the world was massive, it was more than just an open world or a Western GTA, man. It really gave you a sense of the old West. And a lot of that had to do with, like, you know, the open world. Don't get me wrong, like, I mean, I'm not an old West aficionado or anything like that, but in my dreams, which I don't dream about the West, but still, you know what I'm saying? In my dreams, this is what I would imagine the old West is kind of like, it's kind of open and sparse, but then on top of that, you get the music that's going, especially, you know what it is, the combat music really helps, because the combat music isn't, I'm pretty positive, isn't like, you know, historically Western music, the combat music sounds like a TV show, a, a TV, a 70s TV show about the West, or it sounds like a Western 70s TV show, that's the type of music that they went with, with the game, right, so you get you get that, The the voice acting was great. It really sold, you know, everything. And then it was just a funky It was just packed to the brim. The game was packed, you know, with stuff to do. You just ride around and seeing various things pop up on your screen. You even get the surprise animal popping out every now and again to kill you, you know. I remember that bug where there was a bug where there was like a cougar that had a that accidentally had the body of a man, so it had like a cougar like hind parts, but it had like a man like like it was almost like a what do you call those things? A centaur, but <laughs> it was a cougar centaur, and it was crazy. It was fucking hilarious. Um, it was a bug in the game, but no, like Red Dead Redemption. Uh, You know, I think a lot of people remember this story. Like, the story sticks with a lot of people. And to this day, I will not spoil it for you. I still won't spoil the story of Red Dead Redemption for you. you know, I will actually spoil a lot of stories for people. Like, you know, Half-Life, your time's up. I'll spoil it. (laughs) Like, you know, your time's up on Half-Life, right? Man, I'll even spoil Bioshock Infinite at this point. Okay,
2: okay, you said Infinite, all right.
0: Yeah, the regular Bioshock, no. But if you haven't heard about regular Bioshock, you know, what have you been doing? Um, but Bioshock, yeah, I'll tell you what happened, but there's a game like no, nah, I won't, I won't spoil it for you because I think it's a very, especially after you play through the game and it's hard to kind of just talk about without telling you what happens. Even if I told you what happens, I don't think you feel the impact, but playing through the game, you know, playing with Mars and hearing his dialogue and knowing that he doesn't want to do these things, right? Like he's kind of being framed into this, uh, by the government. No, no, it's by the U.S. government, like he's being forced to do this thing. And then with everything that happens at the end, it's just kind of like, wow, you know, it's a game where, you know, it's a consequences have actions game. And in a lot of games, kind of like spec ops, right? Like You just kind of expect things to turn out OK because it's a game and you're the hero and that's what's going to happen. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily like that. This was actually one of the first games we reviewed for the website. It was this and Alan Wake, which did not make this list, which will but it will be on the Honorable Mentions episode. You know. But this and Alan Wake. And I feel bad for any game that released around Red Dead because this was a sleeper hit. Like people bought Red Dead, I think, because it was Rockstar, right? And it looked kind of cool. And so people were gonna pick it up. And like, you know, what games did you have? You had three, four games, I think, that came around this time, right? You had Red Dead Redemption, Alan Wake, Blur, and Mod Nation Racers. Right? It was a slow May. It was a quote unquote slow May, right? And it turned out to be a pretty hot May because Alan Wake did all right. It did actually it did it did pretty well, right? Um, but yeah, like if you were in that zone and these games kind of came out either in the same week or within same, or within two weeks of each other, you just got cannibalized. Like I think this is this is one of the things that kind of broke um bizarre creations the creative of blur, creators of blur if they would have released blur at a different time I think blur would have got more shine and would have been a bit better
2: I yeah but it goes back to like who really thought like a cowboy western game based off like a game they did on the PlayStation 2 was going to be this good you know
0: Exactly especially cuz like Not a ton of people that I know played Red Dead Revolver. Like, I don't think a single person that I actually converse with on a regular basis now has played Red Dead Revolver, you know?
2: Nor should you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying, because you go back to Revolver, and you're just like, okay. Oh, no, you can't
0: go back. You can't go back. No, 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 no.
2: No, I mean, you're not, (laughs) that's what I'm saying. Like, you can can if you want to, but you're just going to hate yourself. Oh, yeah, you will definitely. You, I, I, I got
0: to be honest with you. you. It's hard to go back to this, to, to, to Red Dead uh, Redemption, period. Because, like I said, it is pretty dated at this point. And I'm not talking about the dialogue or anything like that. I'm just talking about how the game plays. So, okay, the time has come. Let's talk about the number one game of 2010. Best games of 2010, number one.
3: Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2 is the best game of 2010 and arguably the best game in the Mass Effect series. Bioware skillfully removed what didn't work with Mass Effect and improved combat, weapons, and dialogue and made side missions more engaging and meaningful. Players got to experience their own legacy as decisions they made in Mass Effect came back around in the sequel and further build their reputation as they assembled a team of the baddest of the bad to be found across the galaxy. Mass Effect 2 helped set a new bar in AAA game quality.
0: All right, coming at number one, Mass Effect 2. And, I mean, like I said, it was between this and Red Dead. But, honestly, in my opinion, Mass Effect 2 just really takes the – like, it has no competitor. Like it was, it was the clear number one, right? I mean, at the time, it had the best visuals, best dialogue, best storytelling, best voice acting. It builds on top of your Mass Effect 1 game. So decisions you made actually mattered in Mass Effect 1. It makes for a very personal experience and it connects you to the characters more. Like in the beginning of Mass Effect 2, and I'm going to spoil this for you, you. haven't played it, but fuck it. Um, in the beginning of Mass Effect 2, um, when your shepherd burns up, that was your shepherd burning up. You know what I'm saying? That was your shepherd dying. Not just so. not just Shepard on the screen. That was your Shepherd. Your Shepard that you either chose to save uh Ashley or Caden or you know didn't get along with Rex that Shepherd. That was your guy, you know. So yeah, you know, and, and a lot of the complaints from the first game were taken into consideration. Born side missions were out, you know and long-loading elevators were gone thanks to advances in technology. That's why I actually didn't play... I didn't finish Mass Effect, the first one, until it came out on PC. Because playing on an Xbox was was no. That was no bueno. Because of how long those elevator scenes were. When you played on PC, it loaded like that. Um, they even made improvements to the gameplay. Like, the gunplay was faster. It was more fun. It was better in every way. And the story was great. And the story was great even though you kind of chose what was happening in the story. You know, it was great. It was, it was a great game all around and by far the best game of, of, of 2010. And if you tell me that mass effect two, isn't the best game of 2010, I'm going to say you didn't play mass effect (laughs) two. That's that's what I'm going to say. Yeah.
2: Mass effect two is very special. It, a lot of people consider it the best in the series. um, the powers were better. Your character your co your the character development was better, I would say. The characters you played with were better. Like it just was an improvement overall from Mass Effect 1. Uh the I mean people even like the stupid planet jack mini game thing where you scan the planet
0: because it broke up the game a bit you know like when you need to like kind of just like take a break and see what the next thing you want to do like you didn't feel like making any decisions you didn't feel like going and shooting anybody you just went up and down up and down (laughs) (laughs) that's what that's what you do it was therapeutic man
2: And, (laughs) and i mean the the games the game really made you care about the characters and to go on those like loyalty missions and those loyalty missions really like dug into each of those characters like personal story growth and stuff and it was just really impressive
0: it was the only thing that i didn't like about about mass effect to was how they handled the dlc that kind of bothered me um
2: aware and dlc uh, problems go figure
0: yeah because i mean i mean it's just the nature of the game right so the dlc came with a new cat like each dlc came with a new character and those characters uh came with three missions right so if you just bought the dlc and then went back into the game and played it you only really got three missions out of the character right and some dialogue the best way to play that game was to wait for all of the DLC to come out and then buy it and then play through it because you got those characters, you know, at very specific intervals in the game, right? And you had way more dialogue with those characters throughout the game because they were part of your playthrough, which in mass effect three makes a much bigger difference in one of the DLCs in my opinion. Uh, But we'll get around to that probably uh but yeah, so that was the only gripe I had about it. I wish the DLCs were more focused on missions and not characters, right? Like I wish they would have introduced those characters into the game right. as as they came along and then the D- if they want to explore those that those characters' stories a bit more, then have more missions in the D- have the DLC missions do because you I just mean, missed out on a ton of dialogue. Go ahead. I
2: mean, my only major complaint about the game is is a looking back thing of like Back in those days, it was very uh crucial, well, not crucial, but a lot of people love their super good or super fucking evil bar, and there was just like not a really good in between and right. but that was just a thing at the time you were everyone loved the whole paragon and renegade thing, but like looking back on it, it's very um yeah, dated, if
0: yeah, if you didn't choose a side, if you actually took the middle ground, you were hurting yourself, you were hurting yeah. yourself like you were making the game harder than it needed to be. Like I, I actually, I remember in the first Mass Effect, if you were like a middle ground type of person, you had to fight Saren twice. You had to fight him twice versus tell you know convincing him to kill himself the first time and then the second time fighting him. You know, so yeah, no, you're right. It is kind of it is kind of dated, but uh, I really don't see it going. Uh, Anyway, I don't really think they've really still found a fix to it. Like if you if you're a middle ground type of person, because even that's the same thing on Infamous, right? Like if you go, if you're just like a if you're still in the gray, that means you're just missing powers, you know?
2: Yeah, it's just a it's just a very it's a problem that's still yet to be dealt with. Really, you either have to be like God's best child, or you're like the spawn of Satan. So, I uh,
0: they need to start delivering power options or you know different options for people who kind of stay in the middle, right? They, they deliver. Those, and, but how do you do that? But that that this is not a, the podcast about this. this. This is a podcast about the best
3: games. No, and, and that's just, right.
2: And it's still, an, I'm, I, I you you probably think, well, who the fuck? This guy, but I'm like, no, this is still the best fucking game. But like, that's oh, like yeah. my one tick against it, and that's oh uh,
0: yeah. So yeah, this is the Mass Effect Two is the best game of 2010, and I think that part of the problem with Mass Effect Three was how great this game was, you know. So, but you know, it, it is what it is. But yeah, like this game, without a doubt, best game of 2010, and I think we all agree on that. But the question is, do you agree? So if I mean, if you if you have any thoughts on our list here, we're gonna get into our contact info a little bit in a, in a minute here. Uh, but before we get to that, do you guys have any closing thoughts on 2010?
1: I just think this is the year of the sequels. To be honest, I mean, like the this twos, year? yeah. Well, because they took every like the good year of the sequels, because they took everything from like the first games and refined it and made a better game. And a lot of those games made our list. So Whoa. to be f-
2: to be fair, brother, all our top fives are all sequels. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, let me just read you off a couple names from 2011 that were in the running Portal 2, Witcher 2, Saints Row the Third, Arkham City, that's a 2, Infamous 2, Little Big Planet 2, Dead Space (laughs) 2, Crisis 2. Marvelous Capcom Three. You're, you're, <laughs>
1: you're gonna, gonna you're gonna see sequels, okay? Like, look,
2: this is you're gonna see this a lot, actually, because you're gonna start seeing the renaissance of new ideas be done in gaming, and we get to the industrial age where we just shovel out fucking sequels of everything. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you are right. There are there are quite a few. Sequ- actually, our, our top five are all um, sequels. So, no, you got, you got a good point. So, um. Yeah, I I I still though year of the sequel. I think that's next year, but we'll get we'll get around we'll get around to that. So. Uh no, I think 2010 was a good year. It was a adventurous year for me personally, obviously. Like I played a bunch of obviously mainstream titles, but then I think it was, this is was probably the really the first year where I st- really started diving into indie titles, and I'm really glad I started doing that. But my backlog is not happy about that to this day. So, and I've tried so many methods to bring the backlog down. But as you get older, time becomes your most important resource <laughs> because you're running out of it. So, <laughs> that's oh, a grim no. joke. That's a grim joke. But uh, no, nah, I I think 2010 was good. You know, I was I think I was man. I know I sounded like a huge loser because uh, I probably was a huge loser. But still, uh, I was like 24. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was 26. I think at the time. So. I'd, I regret nothing. <laughs> so. I, was, uh, I
1: was playing. I, I remember what I was doing in gaming in 2010. I was playing connect games in my room by myself. So
0: oh, so you were the huge loser.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, I'm fucking with you.
1: I'm with you. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. So thank you guys for listening. We're gonna start wrapping up here. Like I said, we, we want to hear your feedback. So if you agree with our list, disagree with our list, you no, know, whatever, you can reach out to us. Uh, you can find us in our discord, which is discord.me slash mash those buttons you know just uh, give us a shout once you're in there. You can email us if you like that archaic technology so that's contact at mashthosebuttons.com. or you can hit us on Twitter at the mash network uh, on Twitter uh, why don't you guys give your Twitter handles what, what, you, what how, how can they find you if they want to point fingers at you?
1: I am S'mores Pop Tart on Twitter. So that's S'mores with an at the end. Pop Tart. I don't think I need to spell that out. Um, but I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch.
2: And you can find me at uh, Keylock MVP. All right. And you can find me at
0: Jostradamus. It's like Nostradamus, but Jostradamus, that's J. So fucking good. Stradamus. I'm so.
2: So fucking jealous of this fucking handle. <laughs> like, it's so good. Like I literally like I heard this handle, you changed it today, or something like that. And I'm yeah, like, my handle's trash.
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that is me, the envy of Mike. <laughs> so but that's where you can find me on Twitter. I also stream on the Those buttons twitch, which is twitch.tv slash mash those buttons. Uh, or you can just go to tv.mtb.gg. All right. And I want to take this time to thank our Patreon supporters. Uh, they help enable us to make content like this. And if you want to help us and support content like this, you can do so for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. And actually, uh, patrons get two, get additional content for this series. Uh, so if you're on a fan tier Patreon you will get a bonus honorable mentions episode. I think we talk, we kind of mentioned it as we were going through, but we'll have honorable mention episodes where we'll talk about a few games that we really liked but didn't necessarily make the list, like Alan Wake and Shank. So, you know, we'll we'll talk about those in, in that episode. And then if you are a supporter to your patron, you will receive honorable mentions plus the draft episode. So if you're curious how we drilled down to this list and what games were knocked out of this list, because i'm pretty sure in 2010 where it was close to like 600 games were released in 2010 i think uh that we found so you know we had to drill down from there to about you know 10 so if you're interested in that though uh those episodes are actually actually already be out by the time this episode is out all right so if you want to support us uh you can you can access that there and that's patreon.com slash mash those buttons And uh, once again, guys, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time.